0: Can be seated. Welcome to our uh, BBI Palm uh, Biblical Preaching Workshop. Uh, BBI Palm, Baptist Bible Institute of Port Moresby. Uh, we started uh, before the pandemic, before COVID. We are a pre COVID ministry, and then we found out how to really do a ministry during COVID. Um, for those of you that are not familiar with the school, our school is not essentially under one baptist church in the city but it is for all the baptist churches in the city and we have uh, i think at this point six different baptist churches that we have students from and we're open for all the baptist churches the vision i had at the beginning was uh, different than had been done before with our predecessors the missionaries who came before they would start a church. And then start a Bible Institute, which I think is, is a great way to do it. And if your church has a Bible Institute, I think that is a great way to do it. But at this stage where we have so many churches, I, I served as a pastor in the U.S. and I knew what it was like to try to do all the pastoral things and then want to have some kind of a Bible Institute to train our, our guys and ladies. And it's just one more thing you've got to do. And if everything goes wrong, on one particular week something gets left out and it's always the bible institute it's always a house cry drop the bible institute because you've got to do that you have to minister to people as a pastor but if you have a school that has an administrator and a teacher and they just keep going you don't have to stop for every house cry if the house cry is going five nights you go another night and the school can continue but if you're the pastor you've got to do the pastoral things and so with that vision uh, we began baptist bible institute for the churches of Port Moresby to be able to train men and women in the Word of God and in biblical principles, biblical character, but allowing them to remain members of their own churches. Every church, everywhere, is different. Doesn't matter if two guys graduate from the same Bible college, their churches are going to be different. And in my idea was. One pastor may want to do his soul winning this way. He may want to do market preaching this way. And another guy, he does it this way, and he does it this way. I wanted each pastor to be able to keep their own preacher boys rather than pulling the preacher boys out of every church in the city and put them in one church. Let them stay in their local churches and continue to minister in their local churches. And the ministry aspect, the pastor teaches his people. I don't teach the ministry. I give you ministry principles. I'll give you ministry experience. But the idea is that the local pastor mentors, especially the young preachers that are coming up. Of the pastors that are in here today are preachers that are looking after ministries. Raise your hand if you are under 40. If you are looking after a ministry, a church here in the city, and you are under 40, raise your hand. I don't see any hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? Me to same. You underneath the 40 Christmas? Now you look out in one fellowship or church or you're a pastor? Underneath the 40. Up him, hand. Just one. How old are you, brother? You got how much Christmas? 37. Okay, good, Laman. Most of our pastors are 40, 50, 60. Now, die can come to anyone at any time, but when you think that all of your leadership is all that old, I have found in my experience, not just in PNG, but everywhere I've been, we aren't replacing ourselves. We're doing this ministry, doing that ministry, but we are not replacing ourselves. Pastors, hear me. You need to replace you. You don't know what's going to happen to you in five years or 10 years or two weeks, and we should be training our people that should God pull us out of the ministry because of our health, or we pass away or whatever, that the church, as it recovers from the pain of losing her under-shepherd, is able to continue with people, with men, who know how to handle the Word of God faithfully. So tonight, today, we're going to be looking at biblical preaching. Biblical preaching. This is one of the courses that we teach at BBI Palm. You are getting... Uh, roughly 54 hours of class time crashed down into about 7 and um, we will be having a couple of our, our, our pastors and elders from Capital City tomorrow actually walk you through their process of preparing a message of, of study and preparation. I'm going to give just a lot of principles. I've given you a handout. Is there anyone who does not have the handout? You don't have the handout. If it's a husband and wife, we have it. Here comes mom's coming from the back. I am going to basically follow the handout, but not, not in particular stay with it all the time. Pastor Grona just came in, mom. Welcome, pastor. After the, after the uh, first break, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves. So I'm just waiting as people will be coming in. First of all, before we even get started, without even talking about it, what what Bible verses have been a blessing to you this week? Now if I had you stand up, some of you're going to try to remember a verse you read last week because there hasn't been any Bible verse that's been a blessing to you and it's already Thursday. How has the scripture impacted you this week? Bible've been making one kind talk inside the heart you. This la week, this la week. You see, as as Bible and I'm, and ladies, I'm going to be speaking to men, so I'll be talking a lot about pastors and preachers, but you're included. Okay, as a papa, I love you too, as my sisters in Christ. But I'm going to be talking, mentioning pastors, but I mean you too. How much have we, as pastors and leaders, read the scriptures this week, and think? Well, this has been a crazy week for me, me thinking of all the brothers that came from Gulf, like dinghy and Walkabout and come and then come that beautiful highway from Karama. The view is beautiful, the highway is not beautiful, but they come all the way. Uh, Hard to read your Bible on that bouncing uh, PMV coming from Karama. But normally speaking, how much are you spending in reading God's word? Because if you're a pastor, this is what you do. If you're a carpenter, you build houses. If you are a doctor, you see patients. If you are a pilot, you fly an airplane. If you are a pastor, you read the word. We're like, no, 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 I preach. No, you read. Because if you don't read, you have nothing to preach. And so many times, those of us that have been in the ministry for a while, you can go very dry. Saying, what I? Water hole blue, you know, got water. And you're trying to preach from an empty hole. And the only way we can continue to do that is the very first thing I've got to emphasize. We need to be reading the word. We need to be reading it. So if right now, when I said, what verses have been a blessing to you this week, and you didn't have one immediately, then think second. What did I read this week? Now, you're looking at me, Kayla in a white grass one time. I don't remember too much about what I read, but that's why I do systematic reading through the Bible. Many of you do that. Maybe you start in January, and you start in Genesis, and now you come all same, or you start in Matthew, and you come all same. And that makes it easy because you're like, what book am I in? Oh, yeah, I'm in this book. I'm, I happen to be in Revelation right now. I'm in Revelation in my Bible reading. I'm in Revelation in teaching on Wednesday nights. So it's easy for me to remember, oh, yeah, I read it. And this morning I read Revelation 14 and 15. Can I tell you what the topic was about? Not exactly. Because my mind was focused on this morning, but I was. I've been in the scriptures, and I just say to you, brothers and sisters, we have to be people of the scriptures or this workshop has no purpose. BBI Palm, Baptist Bible Institute. I would put Bible first, but I think I'm Baptist first by conviction, but it comes from the Bible. We are people of the Scriptures, what is biblical preaching? Let me give you a very simple definition of it. Biblical preaching, Second 2 Timothy two fifteen. Can we can we say that memory verse? 2 Timothy two fifteen. We know it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show yourself approved unto God, not unto men. Thank goodness we're not of a denomination where you have to send reports to the bishop or the archbishop or even to somebody higher. We are independent, fundamental, Bible-believing. We've got all these adjectives, Baptists. But the thing is, we say that our church and our leadership is accountable to who? Who are we accountable for, to? God. Are you? Can you guys hear me clearly? Can everybody hear me? I'm not getting... Re- So I don't know. English blew me foul or... I'll make some of it in pidgin, but a lot of this is going to be in English. I do a pidgin one in lay, and I just did one a little bit up in Hagen. But the idea that we we have to get to ourselves is as we're going to be people leading in the Scriptures, we have to study, but you can't study if you don't read. I'm going to keep coming back to that. You cannot study the Scriptures if you do not read the Scriptures. If you only pick up the Bible, Pastor... Prepare a message for Sunday morning. You've got got, Because the scripture should be coming out of you. The scripture should be in you. I think most of us that have preached for any length of time have found this to be true. It's easier to preach, your heart is overflowing with scripture. When the Holy Spirit has filled your heart, when you read the text, and the text is alive, and we say, I, I want that. That comes from being in the scripture, being immersed in the scripture. When I was a young preacher, do you know when I was the most fired up to preach? At a conference that had good preachers. Guys that could preach. One of my mentors told me, he said, there's two kinds of preachers that will make you want to preach. He said, those that can preach really well, they make you want to preach. He goes, the other ones that will make you want to preach are those who can't preach worth beans. Those guys who get up there and, ah, and about, and about, ah, and Bible discipline and, and story all same, blooming, I mean, making him all same, now you go, and I sleep, gets you in five minutes. Those guys also make you want to preach. You're like, sit down, give us somebody who can preach. But I would come back from those conferences, one-week-long conferences, hearing 20 messages from from. So many different preachers, and some of them weren't that good, but, man, there were some of them, man. I made decisions in my life, and I think a lot of you older guys, you had those old days where you had that. But this is the thing. You can't keep that high. It's like a drug. You can't keep that, but you you have the same responsibility to preach all the time. And so how do we do that? Study the scriptures, but you can't study if you're not reading. Studying. Studying the word of God properly. That's what this is going to focus on. Studying the Word of God properly. There is a right way to read your Bible. There is a right way if you as a pastor, a preacher, are going to be teaching the Word, there is a way to study it so that you can bring that out. But it's two parts. Biblical preaching is studying the Word of God properly so you can explain the Word of God faithfully. Explain the Word of God faithfully. I think we've all heard the message preached by somebody who didn't know what his text really said. And then he took that text and then he said something that it didn't say. You're like, oh, that's not what that verse said. That verse doesn't mean that. And we'll get into some of those as examples later. We are to be faithful in the exposition of Scripture when when we tell people what we're doing. We want to explain it faithfully. We don't want to lead people the wrong way. When I say prosperity gospel, how many of you know what I mean when I say prosperity gospel? Some of you do. Prosperity gospel preaching is this. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to have your best life now. That's Joel Olstein. Is that true? No. Experience is screaming in your face that's not true. But the scripture is also screaming in your face. But people misapply scripture, and they not only didn't study it properly, they don't explain it faithfully. Why? Because they have a motive. We, we've got to be... Let the Scripture say what it says. Sometimes it says very encouraging things, and sometimes it doesn't. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says reprove, rebuke, exhort. But the idea is we think, well, that just means I need to be hard. No, that means that when the Scripture is hard, you need to be hard. But when the Scripture is gentle, you need to be gentle. When the Scripture is loving, you need to be loving. When the scripture talks about good things, you talk about good things. When the scripture talks about evil things, you talk about evil things. You let the scripture speak. So it's studying the word of God properly so that you can explain the word of God faithfully. I would put the word preach here, but not all of us are preaching it. Some of us are teaching it. In fact, your first ministry for any person here is your home. Is not one of the qualifications of a pastor and of a deacon that he rule his own home well? If you cannot explain the Word of God to a child, it's not time for you to stand in a pulpit. Because, Pastor Kendi, do you have any children in your church? You do. Do you have to feed those children spiritually? You do. Pastor Kendi's been in the ministry a long time, and so has Pastor Town. so have a lot of you men. The ministry is not just to the men in the church. The ministry is to everyone. And when you preach every message, children are present. And therefore, some part of your message has got to touch their hearts, which means you have to think that. By the way, by the time I'm done today, you're probably going to realize how hard preaching really is. But it's not if God called you, because that's where your heart will be. And you'll have a heart for the men in your church, and you'll have a heart for the ladies in your church, and you'll have a heart for the children in your church, and I'm skipping the word youth and saying children because small children are there looking at their pastor. He's my pastor. And yeah, they may be play, 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 but they're going to grow up. And as they grow up, you want them to have the heart that says, my pastor always says something to us. Every week he says something to us. Explaining the word of God. So it's explaining it as much as preaching it. I just want to put these things out. And if those are there, we, we have guests this morning who are not pastors and preachers, some of our church friends, and I'm so happy you're here. I have some, uh, some of our young men from the church, Capital City, are here today and I'm so thrilled that they're here. Uh, my prayer is one day God might use them in the ministry. But I got three points here that I just want to bring out. Many pastors, this is not PNG alone, this is global. Many pastors have never read all the books of their own Bibles. How many books are there in the Bible? How many are there? 66. No hands going up, no response. Question. Have you read the New Testament? That's 27 books. Second question, have you read it in the last year? Third question, have you read all 66 books of the Bible and not just once? Because the Bible is not post courier or the national the Bible is meant to be read and reread and reread and reread. Now there is a fault that I, I had among those of us when I was a young preacher. We wanted to be the guys who had the most tick marks of how many times we had read through the Bible. And that, and And here was the other problem: we were rushing through it so we could tick the box, so we could. Oh, you never showed your brother your tick box. You didn't go look at that. You would just open your Bible with that little piece of paper there that had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and you would just open it where he could see that there's five tick marks in your first five years of Bible college. I've read through the whole Bible five times. You saw that. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for you to see that. But I found that I was ticking the boxes to impress my friends or sometimes to impress myself. We're to read the scriptures to feed ourselves so that my soul is filled, so that when I prepare the scriptures, it's not like, oh, like like when you get to heaven and you meet Habakkuk and you're like, oh, and what did you do? Please don't do that. Who is Habakkuk? Who is Habakkuk? You know something you pull in smoke long, who is Habakkuk? He's a prophet. He wrote a whole book in the Bible. He wrote a verse that changed the world. Martin Luther's transformation to push the Protestant Reformation that as much as we Baptists don't want to admit, it really did affect us. It really opened doors for us. It was Habakkuk who wrote these wonderful words, the just shall live by his faith. Paul quotes it in the New Testament and leaves out his, the just shall live by faith. That's Habakkuk. When you get to heaven, no good, you come say, Slaman, to dislaman. To you talk. Amelia, you're in the queue to see Paul, right? Paul's over here. You've got to see Paul. And here's this guy standing here. And you're like, hey, how are you? I'm me. And you shake his hand. He goes, I'm, I'm Habakkuk. And you're like, how do you say that name again? Habakkuk. Ah, okay. And where are you from? And you're like, oh, shame. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm the guy who wrote the book. Nobody read it. But the thing is, everybody read it, it impacted the course of human history. We used to say the one. We used to try to trip people up, and I'm not doing it to you. But we used to say, "How many of you have read the book of Hezekiah?" And you get, and you get, you know. Well, first of all, in your list in the front of the Bible, there's no book of Hezekiah. But actually, I love to ask that question and have students raise the hand gently. And I said, "Brother, I see you're not putting it all the way up. Where is the book of Hezekiah?" And they're like, "Um, "Proverbs 25 through." 29 because if you've ever read the book of proverbs proverbs 25 26 27 and 28 and 29 it says these are the proverbs that hezekiah the men of hezekiah king of judah copied out hezekiah actually did write some of the scripture you see there are things that you can learn as you spend time in the scriptures but many pastors globally have never read the books in their own bibles and i'm talking about pastors that have bibles many pastors do not read the scriptures daily They don't read them daily, and many don't know the meaning of most of their Bibles, and sadly, they don't work to learn it, and that's what 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15 is, study to show yourself approved unto God. I'm not doing this because I'm saying this is you. I'm telling you this is the global situation, and we, we, this is, this is our, our life. This is, our blood is to read the scriptures so that we can tell people. We think that if we've got the Romans Road memorized, we're good, and that's good. But that's not what you're going to live on. Some of you guys, cow cow is your staple food, and if you get away from cow cow, you do want to go back to cow cow. But isn't cockroot good once in a while? I'm so sweet, huh? Now you blow coconuts. You blow loosey coconuts. Go to a mountain. Cow 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 cow. And you think, I say, milicky coconuts. I want just a mango, please. Can I have just one mango? And you like to go back to that? Hey, listen, those of you who, who this, the, the salvation scriptures are the mainstay of your life, that will never change, and it never should. But there's more in the scriptures, and when you're challenging your church to grow, you, they cannot grow on just a steady diet of, of the Romans road. You've got to be able to teach them the scriptures. The scriptures are given to us. They have in them, Peter said this, all things pertaining unto life and godliness. I don't think you can take any of the verses in Romans Road and teach people how to be holy. But you sure take through Peter's writings and you take through some of the scriptures that Paul wrote to us in the book of Romans and you can teach people about godly living and serving Jesus. And those things are as important as as salvation. The gospel is not something you leave the day you trust Jesus. The gospel is the life and air you breathe. Example, if I sin against God, what am I supposed to do as a believer? What am I supposed to do? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that word cleanse in the same context there in 1 John. What is it that cleanses us? And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? cleanses us from all sin is that the gospel then every time you sin you are pulling yourself back to the gospel you're 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 dragging yourself out of the mud only to get as close to the grace of god to do it but the gospel is impacting your life every single day and so the gospel is never something we leave behind but we need to begin to understand its truth and apply it in daily life not just okay market preaching this week you're going to preach first Flynn's going to preach second and then the rest of you guys be ready with the tracks we're going to sing that's good but that's not the gospel that's just one opportunity to minister among many but you need to minister to your own soul and that gospel has got to minister to you daily so let me let me come down to the paper here and i'm having to rework my schedule so i'm having to figure out time um We are according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 Moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. We are Paul says we are the ministers of God. What is a minister? What is a minister? The de- definition of a minister. Speak up really loud because I have old ears. A servant, okay? What else? Manager, okay. And the steward, yes. Steward, minister, yes. Okay. What else? Bring out some ideas. Yeah. Messenger. Messenger. A messenger, it can be. But a, but a, a minister, his purpose? Liberal. Liberal. Labor. Labor, yes. Okay. Very big point. Uh, you can't, if you aren't willing to work, you are not a minister there are aspects of all of those in that but but ministers do this they are not to serve themselves they are not to serve themselves who do they serve somebody else and we pastors are what ministers we're to be ministers and therefore these things that i'm talking about the scripture reading to feed your own soul then you then on top of feeding your own soul then you're reading the scriptures so that you can feed others because we are to minister to them. And we just came through the, the, the Resurrection Day season. And every time, I think every year, somehow it gets mentioned in some message over the Easter holidays about Jesus at the Last Supper that he didn't wash their hands. What did he do? He didn't wash their hands. He did what? He washed their feet. Is that a minister? That is a minister. That is a minister. He is serving others. And the greatest example The greatest example of ministry is the greatest one coming down and washing their feet, doing the lowest thing that was to be done. We as ministers are God's ministers. We're not our people's ministers. We're not our church's ministers. We're accountable to them. But we are God's ministers. God puts us in this position. The pastor of the church is not the authority. God's word is the authority. But here's the thing, pastor. You carry the authority of the word. So there are things you do that are authoritative, there are things you do in leadership, but it always has to be the word that is that is your foundation. If it becomes, if the foundation becomes the pastor and the pastor only, when you die, the thing fails. It stops because it was you. You in sin Sind down easy, stop good. That's right. You can do that. But what if you gave him Bible verses about this is it, this is what the scripture says. Children, let's memorize these verses. This is how you should behave. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be good or whether it be right. You teach him that. You say, Now what does that mean? That means when we're in church, stop easy. Sit down. Put put him out good. We teach our children, we put the basis on scripture. And that scripture becomes the foundation, not the pastor. Because the pastor is always going to be Bible. I have a brother in the States, a, a, a pastor. His name is Joel. Joel. I love to go be with my brother Joel for many reasons. I, I love his friendship. But I know we will not speak five minutes before that guy has poured out ten verses out of his mouth. I was reading the other day, and we did this. We had this problem in our church, and I got thinking. You know, what? it was just like this. When Moses did this over here, and Moses, and this and that, and that brought up verse in Leviticus. And the guys, everything he thinks about, he thinks through the lens of Scripture, and he runs. He, he operates his church through the lens of Scripture. He doesn't have a. He has a small church, hundred and some people, but his people are very scriptural. I don't. I don't, I don't know that I know anybody who has just let the Bible so impact his life as my friend Joel. And it always encourages me. I, I, need to have, I need to have more scripture in my mind. I need to be thinking about it. The word has to be the authority. We have to be the message. We have to be the message. Haggai, the prophet, said that he was the Lord's, he, he was the Lord's messenger with the Lord's message. And I put on here, you have to be the message, not tell the message. What if I, what if I was up here and, and, I, and I'm dressing like America's gone long, long now. If I put on women's hair, right, and a women's dress, but I'm still Papa John, Bobby. I'm, I'm still Papa John, but I put on a woman's dress and woman's hair and come out here and say, welcome to the BBI Palm Biblical Preaching Conference you're going to think, okay, there's a funny story behind that, and he's doing that, but I don't say anything. I just go through the whole conference. If I did that, would you pay any attention to anything I said? Caleb's like, in the beginning, Papa John, but then after a few minutes, I'm like, well, I'm not sure about you. Do you understand? We have to be the message, and I use the extreme. But pastors, can I say this? This is about our character. We have to act pastoral at all times. Is there ever a time that you're not a pastor? Well, you think, well, in my home, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. Yes, that's true. But you should conduct yourself 1 Timothy 3 level in your home. You don't have to boss your family like a pastor. Okay, children, we're going to sing this song at 9.15 and at 9.30. But but what I'm trying to say is your conduct should be the same. Here's, Here's what I see to our shame in many places in the world. As pastors are pastors on Sunday morning but not when they have to go to the shop and get something done. They go to the print shop, they're going to get something done. It was promised to be done today. You need it this afternoon. It's not done. And you pipe him countertop, cross him Mary, and act absolutely not like a pastor. Well, they said they would have it done. Guess what, pastor? Your God let that happen. You said, well, these people were lazy and they didn't do their job. Absolutely. But your God let it happen. He could have stopped it. God could have lit a fire under their seat and said, hey, this pastor really needs this this afternoon. But you're to be a pastor at all times. And so the pastor doesn't go in and beat on the desk and give it kind, kind talk to the work people. No, we're pastors. Why? Think about it when you do that. You say, well, I have rights. You don't have rights. Because what is your mission? Your mission is to be a minister. And how can you... Pound the thing. This was supposed to be done yesterday. They're like, we're really sorry. Don't tell me how sorry you are. Hurry up and print this thing. And then say, by the way, did you know that Jesus loves you? You must tie him bell it and say, Christ will life, will you? That's the same as me putting on the girly, girly hair and the girly, girly dress. Except it's worse, because they will never forget that you did that until you come with some kind of heartfelt Apology to them and say, I'm a pastor and what I did is unforgivable. Will you please forgive me? I was really upset. No excuses. You understand what I'm saying, brothers? We are pastors 24 7. You're like, this is hard. Brothers, I think it's the hardest job in the world. I think it's the most glorious, but I think it's the hardest. You cannot not be a pastor. You have to conduct yourself. You say, Well, I have a problem with anger. Is anger a sin? Let me check. Does the Bible say anything? It does. Does the Bible say anything about how to defeat sin? Hmm. It does. Yeah, but bimanya. Brothers, I have a problem with anger. I have to fight against it. And there are a whole lot of other sins that we, as pastors, we excuse just as long as you don't steal money from the church and cheat on your wife, you're okay. No, 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 no. They're all sins, and they all affect us. We have to be. You're like, I thought this was about biblical preaching. If you're not, if you're not what you say you are, you don't have any business preaching. You know, down in you, I, I, I respect the pastors that I know in here. I respect all of you. I love you guys. But I don't want to say for you young guys, you, we need to look up. We need to set our marks because if this is what God is calling you to do, it's easy to say, God called me. But is it, is it enough that you're going to let it affect and transform your life? Remember what Jesus did when they let the paralytic man, mind you, you got a leg no good, and I'll slick him, him, slack him him come down inside the house. Jesus said, he said, first, son, your sins be forgiven you. And then he said, everybody was like, the, the Pharisees were like, can forgive sins but God only and Jesus looked at them and said just so you know that the son of man has power to forgive sins watch this son take up your bed and walk the thing he said first anybody could have said I could have said your sins are forgiven you but Jesus proved what he had here's the thing we talk about how much God means to us that's like saying your sins be forgiven But it's the action you do that gives weight to your words. And as a pastor, you don't get a day off from that. If I can make it even more real, Christian, you don't get a day off. You don't get a day off. You don't get a holiday to do any kind of sin. It is, you're living a transformed life. With that, we can move on to the idea of studying scripture. We are fellow disciples, pastors, I don't want to make that point. You are a learner just like your people. If you're struggling to learn, they're struggling to learn. Keep learning. We must be Bible pastors, Bible preachers, Bible teachers, and by that I do not mean we must preach the Bible. I mean we must be. How the Bible says we should live, that's what we should be. If we want our people to be Bible Christians, rather than skin Christians or Pharisees or those who are content with their sin or those who are proud of themselves the way they are, if we want them to be Bible Christians, we have to be Bible pastors, Bible teachers, Bible preachers. We have to live it. It has to be part of it. I'll introduce this, and we will come to our first break. Exposition. We'll be talking about Expositional preaching. Now, I, I'm calling the conference biblical preaching because I want us to get to the root of that the scripture is not just the verse we pick up and we talk about it, but that we actually pull out of the verse what it really says. We let the Bible speak. That's what you call expositional. And the root word of exposition, if I cover all that word up right there, expose. Expose. You are exposing what is in the text. A lot of preaching that I hear, not just Papua New Guinea, America too, is people putting into the text what they want it to say. They start their sermon prep by going, what do I need to preach about this Sunday? I'll preach on this topic. My people need this. Now, let me find a verse that goes with that. Good, there's a verse that, and then they preach that verse from the view of their idea rather than preaching the idea from the view of the verse. Pastor Matt will be talking about just his sermon prep the last two weeks of how it forced him into it. I remember preaching uh, the conference, uh, the Passover conference at Shalom last year. And I wanted to preach about the first Passover in the promised land. And I was so excited to preach it because I, I thought I remembered it well. And the more I read the text, I realized how little I remembered it, because it said very little about the first Passover. But the text said that the children of Israel had not circumcised their sons during the 40 years of wandering, and it had way more verses on circumcision than it did on Passover. We all know what circumcision is. Can I tell you how awkward that was for me to look at that text and go, how do I preach this to a mixed audience? And... By the grace of God, the Spirit of God is like screaming at me from the page. Preach the text. See the failure of the fathers. See the children of Israel wanting to do right at a very, very costly expense. See that, that that Passover was was amazing from the dedication of the new generation. And that was how I preached it. Because that was what the text said. I could have said bless God, only come penance the promised ground. Oh, they crossed Jordan. Oh, they're ready now. They broke out the lambs. They broke out the matzah. They got the dancing. They did this. They did that. Oh, ready to stop. Hallelujah. Only oh, come penance the promised land. Left the law behind. Joshua there. Jesus led them in. That's the kind of preaching that I've heard all my life. And while those things are true and exciting, it isn't what the Bible said. The Bible said when they came to that first Passover, the Lord said, stop. You don't take the Passover unless you're circumcised, men. And, and then it, said the, and it says in the text, the failure was the father's. And so the message was about that. You let the Bible speak, and you'll be surprised how God moves when you let the Bible speak. I was, I was scared to preach that message. Just I didn't want to talk about that word in front of everyone. But to see how God moved in the message, how he moved in the service was confirmation that the Holy Spirit was not blessing what I preached, but blessing his word. So Charles Simeon is an old-time preacher, but he said these should be the three goals of our preaching. And you put these things kind of in the back of your mind as you're looking through the scriptures. Number one, we should always exalt the Savior. Two, the, the preaching should humble the sinner. That's not yelling at him until he, until he slinks down inside the chair, slides under the form. That's just like the preaching of the Word of God makes you feel like, wow, God, if you, had not, if you hadn't saved me, I had no hope. For you understand that God was everything to you. Humble the sinner. And the third thing, to promote holiness. We, we want to be a holy people. That is a neglected topic in our preaching. But that holiness, again, goes back to every sin, including anger, including cross-fight. All of these things promote holiness. And this great preacher from the past, these were three things he said it should do. Last one, and we'll take the break. Expository preaching teaches our people to listen well. They're going to have to pay attention when you are preaching, because it's not that simple one, two, three point outline, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine point outline that takes you an hour and a half, and you got your point across at point two, but because you had all that, you had to keep going. Expository preaching, preaching it out of the text, teaches our people to listen well. And if they hear good Bible preaching and teaching, even in your Sunday school class, in your youth group, if they hear that every week, they will be able to discern true doctrine from false doctrine and weak points from strong Bible or biblical points. Don't not preach to your people because you're afraid they might learn something and that they might know more than you do. As, as teaching our wonderful BBI Palm students, I, I love nothing more than to think that they take it to the next level beyond me. I am not jealous. I, w- I want them to, as they learn, like, they come back with something and it's like, whoa, it's on top. I never thought of that. I never saw that. And pastor, you should be training your church and not be afraid of your people growing and growing and growing. And for your, your people to actually see, wow, my pastor was very biblical here. This was, this was, wow, such a scriptural message. It really helped me. And I can take this back and explain it to my family or to my folks at the house or at the block because I see it right here from the text of scripture. It's easy to see. And so if we do that, it'll help our people to understand the difference between true and false doctrine. Weak points from biblical points. Let's take a break. It is 10 o'clock, five minutes till 10. Let's take a break until 10 after. Get around, shake hands, meet everyone, and we will start again at 10 after. Um, there are, the loo is outside. Men and ladies' rooms are right there. If you're freezing to death in here, you're feeling all the same winter companies, and you want to go outside, just remember to come back inside, and we'll see you in 15 minutes. I'd like to do this this hour. Um, I'd like to find out how many pastors are here today. Or if you're a preacher and you're looking after a church or a fellowship, would you stand? If you're pastoring a church here currently, or if you are a preacher and you are the one who is in charge as the pastor, could I have you stand? I have a gift for you guys. There we go. There we go. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. If you guys would remain standing, and if I could have you introduce yourself. To everyone uh, here, we'll just start here with Pastor Kendick. All same, go come, go come, all the way around. Go ahead, introduce yourself. Turn around and introduce yourself to everyone. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> Pastor Matt, Bobby Andrew from Nine Mile Independent Baptist Church. Thank you. Amen. Good uh, morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Meiser, Liberty Baptist Church. Thank you. Amen. Good uh, morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Benson. I'm from Uh I'm from Baymaru, uh, Gal province. Preacher Imran, Shalom Baptist Church. Look out in Morogina. Resource Purpose Church, Glad to be. Thank you. Uh, morning, uh, me Pastor Ben, Michelle Qatim Church, Lord God, Preacher Jorim Kimas, Bible Anita Baptist Church. morning Pre, uh, Preacher Kevin me yes. look out in the other Petit Church Amen Morning uh, Pastor Roger Billions Baptist Church Lothar Roma. Shalom Baptist Church Pastor Thauk Thank you, Thank you. If you guys could remain standing once we get done, I'll pay. I'll, I'll, you'll get paid for it. You're going to get a book. <laughs> Pastor Valli, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Thank you. Pastor Garonavere from uh, Darama, Jabez Faith Baptist Church. Good morning, Pastor Sandro Grace Baptist Church. Amen. Uh, morning, Rogada. Wanna go independent Baptist Church? Pastor Peter Kuro. Thank you. Good morning, Preacher John Bima, Inches Baptist Church, Connie. Preacher White Road Baptist Church. Uh, Mon- Monin, Preacher Steven, Goldie Baptist Church. Wow. <laughs> Brother Eric, could I have you and Caleb, if you could give a copy of this to each of the pastors that are standing? You preachers, you preachers, I have a book for you, but pastors might be giving you a pastime. This is a book on expositional preaching. It is in English, but it is a very good tool. Some of the things that I'm teaching today are straight from this book uh, It is. this is a textbook that we use at BBI Palm yeah I've got some more here brother Eric, there's three brothers here here Caleb, these three guys right here here Caleb Caleb the two guys standing there what's that oh there's okay thank you really thank you pastors you can have a seat all right good all right if i could now if you are a preacher uh, or you're a former pastor or what if you would stand i have a book for you if you would stand, please. No preachers. Um, one, two. Go ahead, go ahead. If you're a preacher, not a pastor, if you're, if, if you're a pastor, you just got a book, you stay down, but the rest of the preachers, you can stand. Anybody else? There we go. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of preachers here. I'm no, I'm no. If you already got a book, you stay seated, because this is for the preachers. I'm no. I've got, let me get you some more. Thank you, brothers, some of them from different ones, some of them are from Shalom, uh, from uh, BBI Palm. Okay, good. All right. Our BBI Palm students, I believe books are important, but you have to be able to read them. You must read them. No good you go to the house and you got plenty of books to stop the shelf, but you know got us. But I believe, in, I believe in good books, and all of our BBI Palm Conferences, part of it we want to make is that we get put good books in the hands of our pastors and our preachers so that you've got something to help you in your study or to grow. If you don't read, you don't grow. Now, I, as you can tell, I am not 23 anymore. Are we, Paul? We're not there. I I learn something from the scriptures by God's grace just every week. As many times as I've read it, I learn, I see something. Now, maybe some of it is stuff I forgot, and I relearn it, but it comes out as fresh. But one of the reasons for that is I continually, I keep reading. I keep reading if I have an opportunity to do it. Papua New Guinea has a dearth of good material. You can go to very few bookshops and get Christian books at all. But some of the stuff in our Christian bookstores is not worth reading. It's by Pentecostals. It's prosperity gospel. It's false doctrine. You know, because a Christian bookshop, it's a business. They have to sell books, and so they've got to sell books that make this group happy and this group happy and this group happy. You say, well, you mean Independent Baptist, We should have our own bookstore. I would go broke because Baptists don't want you to buy it. They want you to give it. They want you to give it to them. And the cost is not the books when you live in PNG. The cost is the shipping. Getting books here, it's four and five times the cost of the book to ship it here. It's, even now, with container shipping has gone high, nobody's shipping containers. So I'm, that's not a complaint. It's just to let you know. I wish we could have a good bookshop that would be available, and we could even at a discount price to help our people have it. But this, this I can do. I can try to provide this. So the yellow the whatever color you want to call that expositional preaching book is on expositional preaching why is it good and we will be talking about that the other book that i gave to the preachers is uh, by james knox he's a pastor in the united states Um, signs wonders and miracles he actually deals biblically with what uh, the street preachers in our country talk about with biblical answers about what it is and what they actually mean and why they are there and i I believe those would be a help now For all of the preachers and the pastors, if I have counted correctly, we have a book table where we are going to offer you the opportunity after lunch to get more books. We are giving them away. Here's my problem. I only have three copies of one, four copies of another, two copies, one copy. And my problem is, Tuplamani want the same book. It's a book. It's a book. It's a book. <laughs> we, to give, that, give it away equi- equitably, we'd have to be Catholic and have our bingo session or, I mean, uh, lottery or whatever, and I don't want to do that. So when we open the book table this afternoon with Brother Eric, please help him, you, you can get three books off the table, and then we have five large books that are on the table, a total of five, one, two, three, four, five, or you can get one of those. Now the problem is, and I love how my son, Pastor Matt, says it, we, in honor we have to prefer one another. You come, you look at that, you're like, oh, look at that, uh, that book, I really like that book. Well, if you're there and nobody else is there, you get it, Brother Eric marks off your three books and you got it. Merry Christmas. But if you come and another, another brother's there and he's like, oh, man, I've been studying that and I wanted to learn about that, you might say, okay, brother, that's, there's only one copy. You go ahead and get it. Why? Because when you came in here today, you didn't have that book. And it's here, and friends in America have, have helped us. Some of these books we've purchased and whatever, I'm just saying, I want to be a help to you, but please don't turn, it, turn the blessing into a curse. Can you help me with that? So when Brother Eric opens up the table this afternoon, now we also have... What did I think, Brother Eric? I think six Bibles that are for sale. They are for sale. They are not for free. They're separate. But they are a very discounted price. Um, I think 15 kina for one, 25 kina for the other. And it's okay to open one of those up so they can look at it, Brother Eric. Um, Those are for purchase. All right? So are you with me? Okay, I don't want to discourage you. I want to help you. I want you to take books home if you're going to read it. Now, get this. If you don't read English, do not get the book. You know, got ass blown in. You better not light him fire or smoke him. Okay? You Baptist, you better not pull him smoke. So don't, don't get the book. If you can't read it, don't get it. But if you can read I want you to get it, and then I want you to read it. And I want, I want to be able to put good materials into the hands of our preachers and our pastors because you, do you know how the, how the, the Jehovah's Witnesses advance their cause? Literature. Literature. They don't just sell it door to door. Their people read it. Their people get it. And we Baptists don't. We just say they're wrong. Well, we should be able to say, well, here's what, what the Scripture says, or here's something that I learned. And we're putting, putting in your hands books that will help you. So that's, that's our purpose. We're not just giving you a book so we can say we gave you a book. We want to help. Our students at BBI Palm, they get get books from time to time. And the purpose is just to help everyone grow in the faith. All right, let's move back on to our our topic. Exposition. Preachers, teachers have to be people of prayer. When I said you have to be the message, um, be comes before do. That's a great life lesson. Be comes before do. You've got to be what you're trying to tell people about. Uh, Most of you know my son, Pastor Matt, is a pilot. And you want to ask anybody questions about flying in general or specifically about flying in Papua New Guinea, he's the one to ask. I went to aviation school. I did ground school. I understand principles of aviation. I could bluff those of you that don't know anything about flying to make you think that I know something about flying but I really don't know, he knows. It's the same thing when it comes to being. I could gim on that I am a pilot, and I am not. Can I encourage you? Do not gim on that you are a pastor if you're not willing to do the hard work of becoming a pastor. This is going to be work, but what I, what I promise you as we get into this, it is so rewarding to be able to put yourself into this work so be a godly Christian. That, that's the foundation. If you don't get past that point, stop. Let's do that first. Settle it in your heart today. God, I want to be your man, your lady, and God, I want you to change my heart. I want you to take the sin that I am afraid to deal with, and I want you to help me to fight against it. With all of my being, as the Spirit of God dwells within me, I want to fight against the sin And not just those public sins, but those private sins. Do that foundationally, pastors, preachers, teachers. Laziness, apathy, where you just don't care, those are sins as well. Fight against it. Fight against it. Because if you're a person of character, people will remember that. And they tend to listen to you more. Now, when it comes to preparing your message to study the message before we're talking all of this is about studying for the message not laying out the outlines yet but this is the studying it begins with prayer you do it with prayer and then you as you get to the message it's delivered with prayer and that is another place in in our christian circles our preaching circles that we don't always remember we get busy say i would ask for you to raise your hand because i think everyone who is pastoring a church can tell you this is it not Sunday morning is the morning that everything rushes at you, everything interrupts? It's that everything seems to, if it's going to go wrong, if you've got a church truck, the tire goes flat, the battery goes flat, it won't start. You, you can't do this. Somebody calls you, Pastor, I can't do this. Pa- you know, something comes up. Sunday is the rush. That, that prayer part is to get your heart in tune with God and the time that you need it. One thing that I commend the Papua New Guinea church to above any church that I have ever worked with, with the exception maybe of Russian churches, is you guys are early morning people. A lot of pastors I know, man, when I get up, I get up around half five, 5.15, there's already texts in my phone. Hey, brother, good morning. Just praying for you today or whatever. I'm like, the we are early rising people, and I commend you for that. But as you rise early, I hope it's to spend time with God. Be with the Lord. Your day should begin with prayer. Your message preparation should begin with prayer. As you begin to study the scriptures, God, I have on a piece of paper where I read in scripture several verses that I try to review, not to memorize, but to remind me. And the first one is, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. When I am looking at this text now, God, will you open my eyes reminding me to pray before I even look at it because the holy spirit is our teacher we just covered this tuesday night in class the holy spirit is our teacher and i want to consciously be thinking of him so that when i focus on him uh, okay lord you are the one that's going to show us things from the scripture when we preach this is you prepare with these thoughts in mind we preach we want to aim for the people's minds with truth help them to understand. We aim for the mind with truth. We don't want to preach something that's not right. Get this, brothers. Just because you say it doesn't make it right. Facebook is evidence of that. I see, and I don't think any of you are here, but I see quotes by Baptist guys on Facebook that are so out of context, or so far off from the truth, and it's like just because we say it, it is not right. We need to discern is, it, is this truth? Is this biblical truth? And our preaching has to be truth, but truth is aimed at the mind. We aim at the mind because people need to understand. They cannot believe what they do not understand. You're like, no, that's what faith is. No, no, no. Faith is based on an object. I hope you understand that. When someone says, I am a man of faith, I am a woman of faith, faith is only as good as its object. And if you are just you have faith in your faith, you don't have faith. You just believe in believing and that doesn't make sense but if i believe in christ that christ died for my sins on the cross of calvary and he took away every one of my sins and in his death all of those sins are taken care of my faith is in him not in my faith and so it's the same thing we want to fill people's minds with the truth because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to fill them with truth, which means we've got to study. We have to study the scriptures. But preaching in its preparation and its delivery also has to aim for the heart because we cannot be heartless preachers. We cannot. Uh, heartless preachers are boring preachers. Now, you, sometimes you wind up with those two opposites, very prevalent in America. On one side, the guy is teaching you so much biblical truth, and it is so boring. It's, it's, there's no passion. It's, it is a bomb, a huge bomb. As one brother said, it's a megaton bomb, and you are preaching it with one gram of passion. Like, Jesus died on the cross to redeem us from our sins, and then he was buried, and then he arose from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, zero passion. Like when you preach biblical truth, man, if it's alive, preach it like it's alive. But then we have the opposite guys who never use Bible verses, but they're very alive. Whoa, how good it is. Oh, I'm a Christian. Please, God, die. And then we all, amen. Why do we amen? So he just said that. Okay, he's a Christian. Give me something from the Word. Give me a foundation for it. We, we need to have aim for the mind and aim for the heart. Preaching the truth, in love, but preaching the truth with passion. Don't have passion without that. And don't have the, the, the truth without the passion. Work the both. And, and, and sometimes quiet preaching is what's needed. Not the yelling, not the stomping. And sometimes raising the voice is what's necessary. But all of it informed by the truth. Why? Because the mind is where we put, we're put we planning the truth. And the truth comes from the scriptures. Jesus, John 17, 17. Sanctify them. He's praying to God just before he's arrested, just before he says to God, not my will, but thine be done. One of the last things he says is, Father, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm about to leave them. They will have nothing but what I have taught them. The truth is the word. So we aim for the mind and we aim for the heart. So when you're preparing, you want to do that. I love, I put the verse up here so we don't have to look at a couple of verses here. In Nehemiah 8, when Nehemiah is restoring the city of Jerusalem and he brings together the priests and Lev- or the, the Levites and scribes to read, it said, "They read in the book of the law of God distinctly." Now I put it in red and underlined. They read it distinctly. What does it mean to read distinctly? What is distinctly? Other words that come from that word are distinction distinct. We do preach from a King James Bible, right? Which means if you don't know what the word means, get a dictionary and look it up, because it's going to help you. You can't preach words you don't know. There are words in a King James Bible, I don't remember the meanings. I have to look it up. I translate the scriptures. My, t- my other job is translating the New Testament. I am in a dictionary all day, an English dictionary and in a pigeon dictionary, literally all day. You're like, you speak English. Mama, Do you speak English? Papa, Do you speak English? Yes. And I'm in the dictionary because I don't. Do I know exactly what that word means? So let me come back to it. Distinction, distinctly. Anybody, try it for me. Yeah. Things that are. No, no. I, 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 but the idea is things that are not the same. There are distinctions between things. Simplest one, man ameri. There's a distinction. You look at a person, usually you can tell, em man or em meri, right? You, you, you look, there are things, that, distinctions. And when you read words, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at words distinctly. In, in some of the exercises that we're actually going to see here and do here in the class, words have meanings. And just the very small changes of a word are things that need to make us as, as pastors, as we study the word, go, why did that change like that? And you might find out you've actually just found the meaning of the passage. So they read in the law. This is what they did. They read in the law of God distinctly, but that is then second step. They gave the sense. Bible talk Hossein. They read it out loud. They read the scriptures, and then they gave the sense. This is how they're teaching the people. This is a beautiful picture. Oh, wait, it was in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. <clears throat> Rats. I haven't read the Old Testament. I didn't know this was there. But if you read the Old Testament, look, it's telling us. They read in the law of God distinctly. Then they gave the sense. They said, now that word right there distinctly means this. But then the third thing they did was they caused them to understand the reading. Now, brothers and sisters, this thing that we just read, this is how it applies to our lives. You read it. You give them the text. You cause them... You cause them to, you give the sense of it. This is speaking to, in this context, Jewish people at the time of Nehemiah, which is about 400 years before Jesus. This isn't the time of Moses, which is 1,500 years before Jesus. Very different. They're, They're very far apart, very different time frame. But what does it mean? And that's giving the sense and then causing them to understand the reading. So preparing to understand a text. You're going to read it to prepare a message. You're going to read it to understand it. Pray. Prepare your heart. Second, read it. I think I stuttered. Read it. Read it. Oh, wait. Read it. Read it. Read it again. Any passage, brother, you're going to read, you should know it well. And you shouldn't just know the three verses that you think you're going to preach for that message. You should know that entire chapter. And in fact, some cases, you're going to actually need to read the chapters in context beforehand and even what comes behind. And it would really help if you could understand what is the purpose of the book, like that one particular book. And some of them, you know, obviously, if you're in Romans, there's a lot there. But some of these, you could grasp more of the text. But don't, don't just pick those three verses, look at them once, and then figure out your message needs to be you you need to get this you need to read this this is your work many of you have done construction of some sort you've built a house you've built a house when or whatever my pastor taught me because he was a he was a man of his hands he said measure once cut twice no he would say measure twice cut once have you ever measured something and then go on and cut it, and then you carried it over to the place, and you were like, oh, stink, it's that much short. And then you look at the measuring tape, and you're like, oh, I read the tape wrong. Measure twice, cut once, because you might cut it wrong. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sometimes we pull the tape really fast and we start cutting. We don't even know what we're cutting. And so then we go to put that piece in and we're like, oh, that didn't fit. The problem is when we're preaching, we think they got it. And actually you you misled half your people and the rest of them, I slept through it and they didn't get it anyway. And no, we should be doing this. We should be measuring it well. So read the text. We're talking, this is, I'm just giving you basic steps. Read it, and then read it, and then read it again. It would be good that if your day for preparing your messages is usually Saturday or Friday, it would be good for you to know on Monday what you want to preach. So that during the week, as you've read through your daily Bible reading, then you can go back over to your text. And if you're going to preach John 14, the beginning of it, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, that you read John 14 as well every day and settle on the verses you want to read and then maybe go back into 13 and say what was it saying keep this in mind about your bible i know that most of you know this but some of you might not do you realize that as john and peter and paul and isaiah and jeremiah not one of those guys put a chapter number in there none of them not one verse number was written there why because they were prophecies that they were giving or in paul's case letters he was writing to churches When was the last time somebody wrote you a letter? And it said, and I'll just pick Preacher Stanley. Dear Preacher Stanley, verse 1. Good day, my brother. I hope you are doing well, period, full stop. Verse 2. It was so good to see you the other day at this good meeting, full stop. Verse 3. Anybody do that? No, we don't do that. And that isn't how Paul wrote either. And so when you read the scriptures, the verse numbers are there for help for us to find it. It's to help you find it, but it's not the context of the verse. You say, the verse numbers are inspired. I'm not too sure about that. They're convenient and helpful, but inspired? They're put there for our help. But the inspired part is the text. And so read through it and read through it. You're like, well, no, this ends at verse 5. Well, did you ever notice that verse 5 might not even end in a full stop? It might be a colon or a semicolon or a comma. And if you, you have to read the rest of it to catch the rest of even the sentence. And so I'm just trying to bring it to your mind that read the scriptures because read them as they were written as the scriptures. You don't, Greek and Hebrew, you don't need that. You have it in English. And if you use a Pigeon Bible, God bless you, it's there in Pigeon too. Read the text. Read it, read it, read it, and read it. Did I say read it? Read it, and read it again. Read it. It will help you more to read it Than anything else, and as you read, as you read, observe what do you see? Now I have to put this up here. BBI Palm students that have had exegesis and exposition, we have a a phrase that at least during that class, they were really excited every time we would say it. We would say, "All right, let's look at the fish." Now, to you guys, you're like, "Go to Koki, and we'll go to the Koki fish market or one of the fish markets up and down the highway right here." and, but that's not what I'm talking about. It's the story of Agassiz and the fish. And the short story comes down like this. There was a guy who wanted to go to university and he wanted to study a strange thing. What he wanted to study was bugs. And get a PhD, doctor level, in bugs. Seriously? Animal White Man, yeah. He got kind like kiss bugs. He wanted to get to understand bugs and they didn't have a teacher who taught bugs. You know what I'm kinda binnetong, or one of them, just bugs. But they said we do have a doctor who is a doctorate of fish. Now I'm not talking about a fish doctor where the fish get sick. I'm giving long end No, I'm talking about this guy knows fish, like super brain, spends all of his mental capacity to know a fish. So he puts they put this this student underneath him and he goes to meet with the professor and the professor said good glad you're here you want to study bugs i don't know bugs but i know fish i'll teach you the process of how to study and he said okay what would you like me to do first sir and he said today i want you to go down to to my laboratory in my laboratory on the shelf are several glass jars and in all of those jars are dead fish but they're at least up inside the simple kind medicine now you know sting i want you to go to this jar he told him which jar i want you to get that down Take the lid off, reach inside that medicine, that kind of alcohol that preserves it, and take the fish and put it on the table. And then I would like you to, from now until lunch, I want you to write down everything you can see and observe about that fish. Do not take a knife and cut it. Don't, don't do anything to the fish. We use that fish for years. When you're done, you put it back in the jar, save it because another student will use that fish later. But I want you to tell me everything you can find out about that fish. So it's morning, 8.30 in the morning. Okay, he goes, goes to the laboratory, finds the fish, gets it, sits down at the table, puts the fish down on the table, and he looks at it. Now, he's smart. This guy's already almost a doctor level. So he sits down, and he gets his paper, and he begins to look at it. He's got two eyes, not eyes, two eyes. And he's got fins, okay? He's got fins, and he's got scales, okay? And so he's like, well, I'll count how many scales. So he counts the scales, and he writes down all this information about it. Lunchtime finished, he goes out, looking all over campus, finds the doctor, Finds the professor. He said, Professor, I got my assignment for you. The professor's like, oh, good job, good job. Let me see your paper. So the professor said, uh, did you? No, you didn't. Did No, you didn't. Okay, okay, this afternoon, your assignment. Go get that same fish and look at it again. And then I want you to write down everything you see. He didn't tell him you missed this or that. He just said, go try it again. The guy's like, Really? So he went back to the lab, same fish, same table, same paper, and he started writing again. But as he did it, and as he's like, oh, wait, look at that. Then he went and got something, he measured it, then he tipped it up and he looked at it and he goes, oh, this is, oh, look at the angles. He wrote it all down, he drew some pictures, and he did more, and he was feeling like, oh, I've got this, I've got this. End of the day, goes, finds the professor, here you go, sir, here's my paper. And the guy's like, okay, let me see. Oh, good, you saw this. Oh, good, you, that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, these are great first observations. And he said, I'll keep the paper. Tonight, I want you to go home, and your assignment is, I want you to write everything you can remember about the fish. Bring it to me, turn it in in the morning. Now, the guy doesn't get angry. He's like, this is, this is university, i got to do this. So he went home that night without the paper, just his memory, but he started thinking about the fish. And as he was thinking about the fish, he thought of a few more things that he hadn't looked at before. And so he wrote those down. So the next morning, comes in, shows up, goes to the professor, says, here's my assignment. Professor says, looks at it, and he goes, aha, Ah! you saw this. Good, 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 this, good. Okay, your assignment for today is, can you guess? Go get the fish, same fish, and write down some more information. I know, Pastor Kennedy, I would be like, Psst. But he he, he humbled himself, and he went, and he got the fish out. And the story goes that the more time he spent with the fish, the more his eyes were opened, and he began to not see, like, I've seen everything. He began to go, no way, look at that. And as he would turn the fish and move the fish and look at the fish from every angle, he began to say, I never saw the fish before. And he couldn't get enough. He had so much, so many things that he wrote down. And when he went and saw the professor and he had it, the professor said, this, my son, is how you study. This is how you study. And brothers, this is how you study. You look at it once, you're going to miss things. Twice, you'll miss things. Three times. Whitegrass and Kayla, I'm telling you, I still see things in the scripture. And I'm like, whoa, why didn't I see that when I was 20? But it's okay. I see it. And you need to be looking at the fish. Look at that fish. That text, that is your ministry is to minister the word to people. You say, I don't read well. Keep reading. Keep reading. It can only get better. Keep studying. It can only get better. So you look at the fish. Now here's the thing. We're looking at the text. We've read the text. We've read it over and over. We come to the golden rule of beginning to understand the text. This right here is so helpful. The golden rule of Bible interpretation. When the plain sense of the scripture makes common sense, don't look for another one. When the plain sense makes common sense, don't look for another one. There are things in Scripture, and you have different types of Scripture. You have Scripture that is narrative, and we tend to lean, we tend to go to narrative Scripture for preaching. Narrative Scripture is stories. Are they not easier to preach? We preach the prodigal son, we preach the Good Samaritan, we preach... Jesus and Nicodemus. Why? They're easy. They're stories. They have a progressive flow. We know where it starts. We know where it finishes. We, it's easier for us to do that. But what happens when you come into Paul's letters? And you're like, what did he mean here? Well, first of all, go for this. Is there a plain sense? Is there a plain sense that you can read in it? it be something we, we'll, we'll discuss, but just, it's plain. This is what it says. Here's the problem. Yeah, but you know what? right here in this story it says that the woman put the leaven in three measures of meal what is that three measures of meal what does that that must refer to something no jesus is giving an illustration and people are like no 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 no. there's a hidden meaning in every illustration there isn't if it was there he would explain it when there's hidden meanings he explains it but we have these guys who think, oh, no, no, no. If you, have, if you go back here and you do that, if you tip the page this way and you look at the words that way, you can see this. there's no hidden meaning. When he said, a sower went forth to sow, his disciples said, Lord, what does that mean? He goes, here's the meaning. The seed is the word of God. Field is the world. And he explains it. When he doesn't explain it, it is what it is. Seek no further sense from that. Otherwise, you're going to be having 666 on COVID shots you're going to be sticking 20 toyas to your arm and say, ah, leukemia. You're going to come up with all kinds of meanings. I mean, we've all heard it before. I'm just using COVID because that's the most recent one. But you have all kinds of stuff. The Red, the red River last week up at Hagen, which I asked, I asked them up there, and they said it was true. It had a ground slide. One, one like ground broke on top. Ground, red ground mud came, came down to the river and flowed. And when time all the water was gone, it went. It wasn't blood. It was, it was dirt. am <laughs> ground yeah. But the problem is the guys are looking for special meanings. Stop looking for special meanings. You and I can go dig out and teach special meanings when we understand all the things that are plain. Too many things are plain. It's just the special meanings. Well, maybe we can use the Post Courier or, or the F, uh, what do you mean, Facebook or something to give more exciting flavor, but it isn't truth. It isn't truth. Facebook theologians are the worst. If you're getting your theology from Facebook, stop, please, please stop. Because the guys that are really good at it don't waste their time with Facebook. But all the guys that want to tell you all their cool ideas, they're on Facebook because nobody will listen. You know what I like to do? As I see these guys write these really long posts on Facebook, it doesn't matter what country, and I look down at the bottom and they've got like three likes. I'm like, nobody's paying any attention. Stop. Go with the plain sense. The plain sense will help us. When I came to PNG, something I did not expect to happen, happened. Uh, years of ministry in the States, lots and lots of sermons. This was before tablets, and I still can't use tablets. But all of my messages on there, I was like, okay, all I need to do is translate these messages into pidgin, and we can preach. And I tried it. And God bless the people of Kodidanga for putting up with that. Preacher Joram was one of my early translators, and Preacher Pastor Ben... They would translate. I think some of my messages were horrible. Why? Because they were so written from an American context. But they were also written from the way I looked at the scriptures as an American. And I realized I wasn't getting anywhere. And there came the day where I literally closed up every one, that thick folder of sermons, and put it in the drawer and left it. And started over from scratch using a Pigeon Bible. Reading what the Pigeon Bible said. Because that's what the people were hearing. I'm hearing the English Bible, but they're not hearing the English Bible. At Cotidongo, we don't preach from a King James Bible. Our people don't understand English. It makes very little sense to a, very few of our people. All of our preaching is from a pigeon Bible. So the Bible that we had that we used with our people, that was where my messages had to come from. I never thought I'd have to do that. But it changed everything because then I began to look at what this text said. I looked at that fish. I wasn't preaching about a shark to people who only understood when I met mean, octopus. It's looking at the fish in front of me. And we need to learn to do that. We need to learn to look at the fish in front of you to feed the people in front of you. As you read, it's not only important what you see, but it's important how you understand it. How we understand a text of Scripture is determined by principles and methods we apply when we observe it. I'm going to go fast through this because I don't want to get bogged down. BBI Palm students know, when you pay the big money, you learn the big words. The principles of how we study, the methods of how we study, the principles we apply, the methods we use is called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, there you go. That's the last I'm going to talk about a big word. You want to study your Bible. You're reading. We've got to the place where we're reading. We're reading Scripture now, all right? You should, for yourself, begin to acquire tools to do Bible study tools. Have you ever have you ever put a nail in a board with a shovel? You use him spade and I put him nail or no God? I have. I have. no not got hammer and you just got one nail you need to put and you're like, give that spade. And yeah, Marua, hit my thumb first. <laughs> and it's like the, the spade is not made for the nail. It's just not. Maybe made for this nail, but it's not made for that nail. Trying, no, no. You, you, you got to do it. You should have, pastor, tools for your Bible study. If you are intending to be in ministry, this is not, you're not buying, you're not buying Maggie noodles and rice. You're buying something that you're going to use for years. So when you see that, that that Bible, that you have an opportunity to buy, and I'm not talking about mine today, but I'm talking about you have the opportunity to buy a study Bible, but you're like, whoa, this is 100 kina. You're at the bookshop. Somebody says, that's a good study Bible. You're like, it's 100 kina. I don't have 100 kina. How about you start saving toward that? Lord, if I, that would be a good help to me. That is a tool. I don't have that money. I don't want to take kai kai out of my children's mouths. But that's something that I'm going to use for the next 20 years. That, I'm going to use the Bible. Lord, maybe I. will you help me to save the money? To be able to do that, why? You're not wasting money, you're investing it. It is a tool. It is a tool you will use. When I was, when I was a young preacher, I mean, money was more than tight. Four, four children, school fees, didn't get paid very much in the ministry, but, I, but I, a wise preacher said, he said, the things that you're going to use for many years is not the same as the, as the newspaper or something that you're going to pick up today and put it down tomorrow. And you can save for that, save toward buying that. But don't take away from anything that you have to, your, your needs that need to be taken care of, but you are investing. Young preachers, hear me. Invest in what you can use. Don't get something you can't use, but something you can use. The tools you would have. Oh, that's a big word. Bible. A preacher, a preacher that has nice clothes and a pipi of Bible, it's not that impre- not that impressive. Uh, yes, have your Bible, use your Bible. But, Take care of your Bible. Take care of it. And if you can get a better Bible, save money toward getting a better Bible because you're going to use it for years. And then when you get it, please take care of it. Now I'll go back to small words. Concordance. The next tool you need besides your Bible is a concordance. Somebody tell me what a concordance is. What is a concordance? Some Bibles have a small one in the back. But what is a concordance? What's in it? Corresponding scriptures. Corresponding scriptures. Corresponding scriptures. Cross-references, yes. Think of a, of, of a concordance as a dictionary, because it's going to be ABC, with every time a word appears in the Bible. You want to look up the word uh, baby. Baby. How many times does the Bible say baby in there? I'm not even sure it says baby. It says babe, child. You come through it just like you would a dictionary, A, B, C. You come to whatever. Let's say we're looking up child. We come, we find child. There's child, and then underneath that is children, and then childs. And you're like, every Bible verse that has child in it will be listed under child. A good concordance will actually have part of the verse there. Because here's what happens is sometimes you remember there was a verse, even a child is known by his doings. Well, if you just want to go through and look at every verse that says child, but when it helps you and it has half a sentence there, you might even see that. Oh, look, even a child. Oh, that's Proverbs. The concordance is the tool to help you find things in your Bible. There is a Strong's concordance. There are names for them. Young's concordance, Cruden's Concordance. They're different ones. They're all basically the same. Now, there are tools that you can use on your smartphone, and there are apps you can download, and they'll do that, but that's easy to find that. But if you don't have access to power all the time, that idea of having a concordance. Now, the concordance will always be much bigger than your Bible, it's huge. But it's the tool for you to look up verses, look up words. You're like, when would you use it? A lot more than you think. If you stay your whole time preaching in that one verse, your people are going to get bored. There are times you're going to need to cross-reference where did this come from. If your Bible isn't a reference Bible and you're reading something in there, we went through Tuesday night um, where, where Paul said, um, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn and the laborer is worthy of his hire. That's two scripture references that you don't know where they are, but Paul's saying the scripture said. Well, to find those out, the concordance, you can look up the words ox or muzzle, and the other one, laborer, hire. You can look up those words in the concordance and find out where that is. Now, if some of you are bored by that, this is not the time to be bored. Study to show thyself approved unto God a what? Workman. It's work. It's work. Now, here's here's just a free thought for those of you who are good at doing the work. Not everything you learn has to be preached. Sometimes you look it up, you get it, you're like, okay, you make a note of it, but it might not go well to preach it. But sometimes we feel like everything we look up, we have to tell everything we saw. Now, sometimes you'll do a lot of work, and you're like, okay, this helps, but it's not helpful for the message, I think I'll leave it out. But it's in your brain now. Now you've looked it up. You might use it two years from now. You might be preaching a message two years from now and use that, but the concordance is a great one. It is a great tool. It is not free, but it is helpful. The third one would be an English dictionary if you were preaching from an English Bible. You preach from an English Bible, you need to know what English words mean. If you, you like I do, like a King James Bible, you're going to need a more comprehensive dictionary. The language of a King James Bible is from the 17th century. It's from 400 years ago. The small uh, dictionaries that you pick up at uh, Theodist or whatever, they're good dictionaries for modern English, but it may not give you meanings that are no longer in use, and you might not understand the full meanings of the words. You're like, man, that's going to be more expensive. I'm just telling you, These are the things that will help you. This isn't, you're like, I don't have the money to do this. These are things for you to think to the future. I need these tools. Even if you have a simple English dictionary now, it will help you to look that up, to learn words. I would get an English dictionary before I got this, but if you have the opportunity to get a Bible dictionary, a Bible dictionary is going to be more like, we would use the word encyclopedia. It's not just going to give you the definition of a word. Sometimes it will actually give you a picture of it. Everywhere in the world is different than Israel. And there are things that we try to picture from Israel in our context, and it doesn't make sense. My home country, we have roofs, ceilings, and the houses. And when I was a young boy, trying to figure out how those guys cut the hole in the roof to let that paralytic man down through, because I knew they had to cut through the roof, and then they had to cut through the ceiling, And because I'm thinking of American house. When I was living in Kodidanga, I remember people saying, how did they even get up on the roof? Because our people use leaf mambo on the roof, and it's not made. You don't want four people carrying a man up on the roof, because no good that house has been there for three years. That roof might collapse. Well, a Bible dictionary helps you understand that the Jewish people at that time had flat roofs that were made with D-Y with, what do you call it, uh, some kind of pit-pit across and then dirt packed on top, and a Bible dictionary would help you to understand what that was like, how they lived. Many things that you read in the Bible, a Bible dictionary will have that an English dictionary won't. But I would say your Bible first, definitely a concordant second. English dictionary, and then if you can get a Bible dictionary... That would be it. And those are the tools that I think are very important. Now, this one here is last, and that is a commentary. Commentaries on Scripture. The fault with commentaries is the fellow that wrote them. The fault with commentaries is the fellow that wrote them. When I was a young preacher, I didn't know who were good guys. And so if I had a chance to buy a $1 book, I bought it. And I bought a lot of books that were no good because I was like, oh, chance, yeah, right, I have $1, and that's a $1 book, and I get it, and the doctrine inside is all messed up, and over the years, as you are saving money, or you have opportunity to add these tools to your, your working uh, tool shed, you want to, before you get into something like this, you want to ask a brother, an older pastor, um, I, I've got 50 kina saved up, and that's enough to buy this commentary, is it any good? And he might say, I don't know who the person is. And they might say, Oh, wow, that is really good. Yeah, 50 kina, that's worth it. Invest in that. But, but these are, are in the order of their importance. You need to have a good Bible that you can read that's got all the pages in it. I've seen preachers where they don't even have all the pages in their Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God except for the five pages that are missing in Revelation. No, <laughs> the whole thing. A concordance. If you have a concordance in the back of your Bible, that's a blessing, it's a beginning an English dictionary for you to understand the meanings of words so you preach it correctly no good you preach the wrong words I would, use, I, we, I would listen to uh, American preachers mispronounce words and in mispronunciation sometimes um, they would actually just totally take you out Like the, 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 Jesus when they, the, the ladies came early in the morning to the sepulcher the uh, because and the word is sepulcher but it's a word we don't use all the time but they would mispronounce the word. And so the people that knew how to pronounce it literally are laughing in church while the preacher's trying to preach, mispronouncing the word. This isn't PNG, this is America. Brother, you're a preacher, you should know how to pronounce that word. A common thing that would happen with with our guys, I'm just talking about mispronouncing words and they should know better, is they would say that Jesus was from Nazareth and the man that he raised from the dead was Lazarus. Do you see what I did? Jesus is from Nazareth, and he raised from the dead Lazarus. But he, these guys would say Nazarus and Lazareth, And it was like, and, and you, what you had, you know, the little snicker you guys have, you'd have people snickering. Like, he would say Nazareth, Nazareth and Lazareth, And it's like, no, 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 no. But the commentary, that's something for behind. But those of you that are experienced and you have the opportunity to add a good commentary, it's going to help you in your studies. But brothers, hear me. If you have that and you have nothing else and you look at that fish and you look at that fish and you look at that fish, you are going to be equipped to do most of your preaching. These are for the things that are going to help you to continue. Most of us that are older, you have children. Did you want your child to stay one-year-old? You wanted them to be two and three and four? Did you want them to just crawl on their knees? Or did you want them to walk? After they learned to walk, did you want them to learn how to speak well? Did you want them to learn at school how to read and to write? Did you want them to to grow up and and have strong bodies and work in the garden or play sports and things like that? Did you want them to do that? And, And as you look back, you're like, wow, look at that. I can remember when Ishmael was like hardly walking. And now Ishmael, he's in school. And you look at that. Here's the thing. We want our churches to grow. And as our churches grow, guess what? You have to grow. You have to grow because you can only take them to where you are and help push them past that. And as your time goes on as pastor in the church, you need to know more. You need to learn more, to teach more. Brothers, if you're just getting started, you don't need to have all these things if you don't have them. But as you grow, you need to think, I need to be walking with my people. I need to be, in a sense, Paul called the churches, he said, I'm like a spiritual father to you. You're not a Catholic priest father. But you have the position of a father. You're responsible for their spiritual growth. And you learn. You don't have to learn it all. Just keep learning and sharing. And learning and sharing. So this was just an encouragement about the, uh, the things that would help you. Let me jump past this here. Don't worry about the big word. Principles and methods of interpreting Scripture. Principles are like foundations. This is what we, we're like, the, the scripture is plain, it's easily understood most of the time. Peter said this, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Peter's context, to give you the context here, because if you read this by itself, this word tells me that there's something else here, right? Also, what does also mean? Also, if I say Also. One time, pigeon, yeah. Well, if you say one time, that means what? There's got to be something before me we were talking about. Because we say also, we say one time, you mean, okay, what was the other thing? And that would be, force you to go back to the context. The context, Peter said, I was there when Jesus changed, became white as snow, glowing. Moses and Elijah was there. It was amazing. I saw it with my own eyes. And then he said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy than that. Whereunto you would do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day star dawn, and the uh, and until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any what private interpretation. As you study the Scriptures, just the warning: don't be looking for to be that guy who found something nobody else found. Always be looking for the thing you never found before. Always be looking at the scriptures and let it feed you. The guys that are always trying to find the new things that nobody else in the history of Christianity ever saw, hmm. They were all long, long, huh? Like everybody in church history was long, long until me. Me yet, me painemia. If you found it and nobody else found it, probably what you found is not real. In fact, let's just say it's not. No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. God wants us to spend time in His Word so that we see what it says and and see what it means and how we use it. Our methods of study. We, We believe that the Scripture should be read literally, it should be read grammatically, and it should be read historically. Not three separate things, three things in one. Literal means that. It means what it says. Saying what it means, it means what it says. We believe the scripture is literal. It doesn't have that. Now, some of the things you read, for example, in Revelation, this is John, a man of the first century, trying to describe things that no human even today has seen. And so he's like, it was like horses with tails like scorpions and heads like lions and all this like. Why? Because he's trying to describe it. Can you imagine our ancestors in Papua New Guinea at the Second World War with all the countries arriving with different Japanese people and American people and trucks and jeeps and airplanes and some things we'd seen and some things we'd never seen before and all of it new? And they were like, explain that. I don't know. We don't have a word for that thing. I don't know what that thing is. Well, this is John in the first century. But still literal is it means it says what it means and means what it says this this hermeneutic or this idea literal allows for parables it allows for symbols it allows for allegories parables is a story that is pointing to something the good samaritan is a parable but do we understand it do we understand the good samaritan the story yes it's a parable so here's the question Did the Good Samaritan story really happen? The story. No. If Jesus says it's a parable, he's telling a story. He's not lying. He's giving a story as an illustration. A parable. A man went forth to sow. It's a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. Seven times in Matthew 13, it's like. It's a parable. But it's still literal because you can understand it. It allows for symbolic things. That's revelation. This was like that. I saw a beast come out of the sea. Seven heads, ten horns, uh, ten crowns. All the descriptions. It allows for that. And it even allows for allegories. Allegory is where one thing is said to represent another. And Paul did that in the book of Galatians where he talks about Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Mount Sinai gave the law. But Mount Zion, the heavenly Mount Zion, is the dwelling place of God's people and grace as opposed to law. And he said that's what this. These two things were an allegory. They They were meant to be symbolic. But the plain things that you read where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again, there's no symbolism there. You must be born again. It's plain and it's simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Plain, simple. Most of scripture is just like that. Here's where educated people will run off. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Educated people say, well, no, it wasn't like that. Things evolved. Those first 11 chapters in Genesis are just stories. They're just parables and allegories of Of the principles that you should learn, but there really wasn't a historical Adam and Eve. There really wasn't a Cain and Abel. It's just a picture of the struggles through history of mankind. Brothers and sisters, no. Genesis 1 1 to Genesis 11 is history, it's true, it's literal, it's not symbolic of anything. I've actually heard the discussion raised again about two different creations of man, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 2 explains Genesis 1. It's not a separate thing. But thank goodness for Facebook theologians out there are going to help us with that. Brothers, it is simple. I'm telling you, it's much simpler than we make it. The thing is, we just need to read it. We need to read it. Parables, symbols, allegories you can have those in a literal thing, but being literal, we trust the Scripture is what it is. Now, here comes the big word that you may have been afraid of, grammatical. You're like, oh, you're thinking grammar. Oh, when I had to go to primary school and I had to learn English grammar, it was horrible, it was torturous. Time you to stop English, yeah, I'm hard, yeah. Grammatical. Grammatical is that it speaks plainly in words that we can understand. The words are literal. It means what it says. But second, it speaks in words that we can understand you're like, I don't understand all the words in the Bible. Well, if you look them up, you can figure out what they mean and understand it. But understanding in a grammatical context that the words speak plainly. They're plain. It is, it is, it, it, even when it's not simple, at least it's plain. And that, hurt, that is an important way to look at your Bible. It is. This is plain. I don't like what it says. I told you before, I didn't want to preach on circumcision at the Passover conference. But grammatically, that's what the text was saying. Literally, those words. Real, actually happened things. And so, okay, I've got to stay with that. I can't, I can't spiritualize it. We have a tendency to try to spiritualize things. Well, this is, says that. and Well, in, in, if you look at it this way, this really what Jesus is trying to say. No, what Jesus is trying to say is what he just said. He just said that. And if he wanted to tell you it meant something else, he would tell you it meant something else historical, and this this is very important for us to grasp as we read the scripture. The scripture is to be read in its historical context. When it was written, to whom it was written, who wrote it, and why. When it was written, to whom it was written, who wrote it, and why. To be saved You men need to get working. We need a boat, a very large boat. We need a boat, and we also need to figure out how we're going to get animals from all over the world here because we need two of every unclean animal and seven of every clean animal, and I need you guys to get after it right now because if it works out, we only got 120 years to get this done, and if you do that, you'll be saved. Is that the message of salvation? Let's build a boat. Was it ever the message of salvation? It was for one man. If Noah didn't build a boat, he would have perished in the flood waters. But why? Because he didn't have faith in God. It was Noah's faith that caused him to do what he did, but God told him to do that. Did you know God never told Mo- Noah to believe in the cross? Never. Not once. You can see pictures in that, but literally and historically, when you read the stories of the flood, Noah's obedience... And God's grace to Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what's important about that context. He, his faith was demonstrated in his obedience. And then we take that and say, we should be obedient like Noah. He heard God's word, he was faithful, and he obeyed it. But trying to put the cross in there, it's not there. People perished because they didn't believe God, but there's no cross there. Don't try to force it in Historically, it. Historically, that's where it was. When you look at Moses and the law, Moses and the law is not the same as it is for us today. And those things, the, the differences, the distinctions between them, it's very important that we read considering when it was written, to whom it was written, who wrote it, and why it was written. Can I say this and, and touch something that, that's, that is misused a lot? If my people, which, shall, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, whatever, and go on, but the end of it says, I will heal their land. Is that a promise to us? It isn't. It isn't. It was not written to you. The principle applies. We are his people. We are called by his name. But we're not Jews living in Canaan. We are Gentile Christians living in Papua New Guinea. And the last part of that was a promise that God gave to the Jews in their land, not to you and I. What if you got right with God? What if you walked with God? What if you did all of that and you were humble and you were doing everything you were supposed to do and God did not bless our land? Did he lie? No, because he never said that to us. He said that to them. But all of the principles yes, I can grab that. Yes, I will humble myself and I will pray and I will seek his face. And I, I do this and I hope you do too. I seek his face for our nation and common grace. That PNG power will work, that PNG water will work. I mean, I pray that. I do. I pray that that that, that health and education will be not just a priority in the yam 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 in parliament, but it actually works down to the people, that they actually get their medicine, that they actually the teachers show up. I pray for that. But I have no promise from God that He will do that like He said he would do for Israel. Because I read it, and I understand what it was. You say, well, if you had more faith, no, don't be a Pentecostal to me. Those guys are claiming it, and they're not getting it either. They're talking about it, but they're not getting it. It is no lack of faith to say, well, we look at that, and that's Old Testament. No, I look at it, and I can apply principles to my life, and I do. But I have to look at who it was written to and at what time. When you interpret it, it's based on what the author intended, not what the reader thinks it should be. We can read it and we go, well, you know, this means this for us. Well, it may not mean anything for us in a particular context. The interpretation is based on what the author... Now, God is the author, and he's the one that's working through a human instrument to write the scripture. It's not what the reader thinks it should be. Because let's just talk about the New Testament. The New Testament... The Gospels are written in Canaan in the first century, not in Papua New Guinea in 2023. We cannot interpret the Scriptures and look at them as if they are Papua New Guinea in 2023, but, there are, but the Scriptures are applicable to every person alive in Papua New Guinea and Australia and Japan and China, Africa, anywhere. They're applicable to us, but when they were first written, they were written there second principle is it's based on its context. And that includes the verse itself, the sentence, the paragraph, the chapter, the book, and then the entire scripture. But especially these first three things right here. All the context, whatever you're studying, is based on the verse itself, the whole verse, the whole sentence, which means you've got to go find the two full stops and find out what's in between, That's there, And then the paragraph that it's in, because paragraphs have meaning. Then after that, you look at it in light of the chapter. How does that all fit together? And then how does that fit in the book? And then how does that fit even in the Bible? You're like, do you do this every time? Probably not trying to pull everything into it in the Bible and the book level. But if you do that two or three or four or five times, it will stick with you. And so as you begin your study, you begin to actually think of things with perspectives that you've already studied and learned. In the beginning, there is a lot of work, but that work goes easier. How many of you in here consider yourself an okay carpenter? You can, you can build your own house, little place. Anybody? Ben, I know you can. Kevin? Oh, I know all our Kamea guys. Can you, you guys can do it. You play golf? You can build a house, right? The first time you did it, was is it easier now or easier then? Time you plus start, before. You young plumana, you don't know, be making before. Uh, this smile. When you were young, you, you didn't get it, but now you're not afraid of it, right? Maybe you don't want to do it, but if you have to do it, you guys just build a new church. It's you're not afraid of it. Now, if you were younger, you were like, okay, I'll get after it. But do you understand what I'm saying? When you're younger and you or you're first experiencing it and you're doing this study, you're like, there is just so much. Here's the thing: it won't always be that way. The more years you do this, the more years, things that are, you've done, you've already got it, it's in your memory, or you can approach it and you come at it a little bit quicker, you're not lazier. It's just that I've been doing this for a while, and it's helpful, I, I've got that. There's a lot of things already in your mind. And so I want to encourage you, you're investing time in this. And by the way, guys, if you want to be pastoral, time is going to be your middle name, because it's going to take time what I do like a lot in Papua New Guinea that I see, at least in the cities, is the longevity of pastors. Pastor Kendi, I see that. In America, you don't see that that much. A lot of them, like, they're there for three years, four years, they're gone, they're gone, they're gone, they're they're moving, they don't, they don't stay. But men that stay, the longevity of staying there, Pastor Tao, Pastor Grona, being men in ministry, faithfully pursuing it, it's, Going to be long term. This stuff is not. You're not not in a sprint. This isn't 100 meters. This isn't even a marathon. (laughs) This is your life. And so, what you study and what you learn, that's always going to be something that you're going to use. Interpret it literally, allowing for the different kinds of language. And here's figurative language Jesus said, I am the door. Is he a door? Spiritually speaking, well, he's the door to heaven. Really? I don't think he's the door to heaven. <laughs> he's the way. He's the truth. He said, I am the vine. Is he a vine? Then what about when he says, take, eat, this is my body? You see, you have to ask our, our Catholic friends that are like, no, Jesus said, this is, the, the elements of communion are his body. Really? He said that too. You got hinges, yeah, you tie him, one of a bell blowing in and by swing, say, man, just we go back. A vine, he grows out, right? No, that's figurative language. It's true, but you know there is no one who looks at Jesus and tries to find the handle, right? None of you are, are putting oil on the hinges of Jesus. So these are figurative language. It allows for that. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. A principle to give to you guys and we're almost done we'll go to lunch is the law of first mention many times an idea or a phrase or a word the very first time it's mentioned in scripture if you go use that concordance go back and find it most of the time it's going to be in genesis how was it used the first time many times you get that definition that may carry through for most of the other times that word appears it's just the way words work it's why the translators were using English. That's why the translators translated, they used that word, they used it again, they used it again, they used it again. It's probably got the same meaning. So if you can figure out what it meant in the first place, okay, okay, let Scripture interpret Scripture, not the Facebook theologians. That would make us let the clear, understandable passages help us to understand The difficult passages, and I'm not going to take the time to look that up. You want to snap that. Hebrews 6 is a difficult passage to some, but if you look at clear scriptures like John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give unto them what? Eternal life. It helps you to go when you read Hebrews 6, where it says that that people fall away and they can't can't be renewed, and you're like, whoa, they lose their salvation. Jesus said no. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. These are are clear. If that says something different, there must be a reason for it. Because these are clear. There's no question about these. Let the clear scriptures interpret the others. And then this afternoon, we're going to pick up with this. Interpretation is different from application. Understanding what it says is different from how you apply it. When you understand what it says, then you can ask the question, how, do, how does that apply to me? It says this, how will that help me? How will that help me? You guys have been very patient. I'm surprised. No got eye sleep, even for my two brothers that rode the bus all night from Karama. They've been staying awake, and so I'm thankful. But I'm really thankful for all of you being here. Let's uh, pray your... I think everybody here has a necklace, uh, name tag. That's going to be your um, ticket to get a meal, because no good old man coming inside Lobani's, not just line up, queue up to get the food. No yellow no yellow necklace, no kaika, you badai. die. No. It's been some really good food. Pastor Matt's wife um, wanted to do this for you guys. She told me. She said, can you let me fix it? I know last time we had a BBI Palm Conference. Sorry, Pastor Kendi, you weren't here. Miple Kili we had a nice pig, bro. You're here. No pig today. But we're going to enjoy a good meal. And then after the, after the break, Brother Eric, what time would you open the book table? I don't want you to rush. So. Um, after the last session, depending on how long we go, we may need to get right in the buses. I was thinking after lunch. After lunch. So. What time do what time you want to make it? Because I want to give you time to get here first. And then those that are really interested can make their way in and, and be here then. And if you're not that interested, it's fine. 12.35? Okay, that's fine. So 12.35, that'll be there. We will begin the next session at 12.45. So at 12.35, he'll come in and open up the book table. You, you can pick from three. I think on the table there are 15 different titles just off the top of my head 15 different books there some of them have got five books some of them have three books or whatever Um, just the pastors and preachers i don't have it for all the attendees i'm sorry and bbi palm students if you want to defer and let somebody else get it you guys are going to get more books because you still got this semester to finish out and your graduation coming this year but anyway for pastors and preachers you come but just if you would just be kind to one another there's The large books, I won't say what they are. They're not Bibles. Um, You can get one of those until they're gone, or you can get three of any of the other titles. They're all helpful books. All right? Thank you. Thank you guys so much for this. Let's uh, let's go enjoy some fellowship uh, around the table. If there's somebody you don't know, please make time to meet them. Lord, we are grateful for your faithfulness and goodness, and, Lord, thank you for the session this morning. Thank you for everyone being here. And God, I pray, oh, that we might fall in love with Christ more. We might fall in love with your word more. And Lord, I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters as they endeavor, Lord, to spend the time and let the scriptures speak. And Lord, thank you for this good food that you have provided. Lord, you're a faithful God in so many things. Would you bless the food? Would you bless our fellowship? And Lord, bring us back for the afternoon session. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.